Our daughter, Melinda, third of our four children, um, didn't talk much when she was a little girl. Might have been a, a, um, a speech delay, not a speech impediment, but she didn't say an awful lot. And when she started talking eventually, we could not understand anything that she said. She was later diagnosed uh, at that point to be 85% unintelligible. It, it might have had something to do with her firstborn older sister who came out of the womb speaking articulate sentences and in the last 37 years hasn't stopped talking, so Melinda didn't much have to, didn't need to talk much. Um, but anyway, finally, uh, she was three or four years old, and we figured we'd, we'd better step in and do something before she started getting involved in school and whatnot, and so we took her to a speech therapist, and in just a matter of a few weeks, with her determination and focus, that all got straightened out. But we have fun, fun memories of things that Melinda used to say. One snowy day, she came in from playing outdoors in the snow with her brother and sisters, and she said this excited voice, a toe me beep, titia hop me. Now, none of you know what that means, but we knew exactly what that means because we could understand her 85% unintelligible uttering. A toe meant the snow it was on my beep, which, of course, everybody knows is your nose, right? Snow on my nose, a toe me beep, titia hop me. P.T. is uh, several generations away from sister. You know, it's sissy, but she couldn't do her S's, so it was T.T. P.T. a hop me. Hop is help. Caitlin had brushed the snow off of her nose. A tome beep. T.T. a hop me. Language is a funny thing. Sometimes we, we can't articulate what we want to say, perhaps because we have a speech impediment. But then there are many other times, probably more common, when we end up not knowing what to say. One of those moments when we're just stupefied, we're, we're overwhelmed, and, and words come out of our mouths, but usually we want to take them back later, right? Let's look at a few situations like that in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Luke chapter 9, if you'd like to join me there, I'll begin reading at verse 28. Well-known story of disciples babbling. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter, said to him, and here's the babbling, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. 
and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. Moses and Elijah, an important part of this experience that these three disciples had with Jesus, they represent the forerunners of Jesus' mission. Elijah was the prophet that the Jewish people expected to come to announce the coming of Jesus, and John the Baptist fulfilled that role as we Moses, of course, is uh, one of the great uh, chosen, anointed forerunners of Christ who in so many ways uh, foreshadowed much of what Jesus would eventually do. We find uh, many allusions to Moses and two experiences in his life in particular, the burning bush and receiving the law at the top of Mount Sinai. There are allusions in this story of the Transfigure that point us to Moses. First, uh, it it takes place on a mountain. They climbed up a mountain and saw this transfiguration experience. And, of course, the burning bush and the the receiving the law at Mount Sinai both taking place on what was thought to be the same mountain. Jesus' face was changed. Remember when Moses would go into the tent of meeting, he would come out, his face was glowing, the Shekinah glory of God, and had to put on a veil to... Uh, so people wouldn't see the glory as it was fading, another allusion to Moses. Then there's the cloud that envelops the top of this mountain, out of which we hear the voice speaking. Cloud is a classic uh, place where God shows up throughout the Old and the New Testament. It's particularly associated with the awesome glory and the power and the presence of God as he was giving the law to Moses. It terrified the Israelites down at the bottom of the mountain. The the lightning and the thunder, the cloud that covered the top of the mountain as Moses was up there, they were sure that he was dead. Then there's this phrase, when the the Father speaks from this Mount of Transfiguration, the phrase, my chosen one. Who are the chosen ones? Adam was chosen, wasn't he? Noah was chosen. Abraham was chosen. Moses was chosen. The Israelites were chosen. Another allusion here to the fact that Jesus had come to be the fulfillment of God's choosing, choosing of messiahs, of anointed leaders. And then I love this last one. When Moses and Elijah were up there on the mountain talking with Jesus, it said that they spoke about his departure. They spoke about Jesus' departure. The Greek word translated departure is the word exodus. Hmm. I wonder who was connecting what dots there. This is an intentional reference to the fact that Moses had been the leader of the exodus of God's chosen people from slavery out of Egypt into the promised land. And Jesus was going to do something very similar. So these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, up there with Jesus, watching this experience, it had to be very similar for, for, for them to the experience that, Jesus, uh, that Moses had when he met God at the burning bush, right? I, I just see Moses' jaw dropping. 
a little drool coming out as he's trying to figure out why is this bush not being consumed and who is this that's speaking to me out of this bush? This is not something that happens every day. It's not something that had happened ever before. And I imagine that with all of these allusions to the life of Moses and the ministry of Moses, that perhaps Peter, James, and John were having a similar jaw-dropping experience. It says here, Peter didn't know what he was saying. I wonder if the disciples didn't keep it to themselves because they just didn't know what to say and how to describe this. Meanwhile, down at the base of the mountain, the other nine disciples were having their own experience of babbling. Join me at verse 37 as we continue the story. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I beg your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. So the transfiguration is followed by this demon-possessed boy who couldn't be helped by these nine disciples, disciples who had been following Jesus, watching his teaching and his miracles, listening, and, and yet they were somehow not able to, make, to, to cast out this demon. Whatever words the disciples used were apparently ineffective babble as far as the demons were concerned. Here we have a stark contrast between these two experiences, don't we? On the Mount of Transfiguration, there's this story that's full of Shekinah glory. And down at the bottom of the, the mountain, we have this story that's full of demonic warfare. In either case, the disciples didn't know what to say. They were speechless, or they babbled. We've had the highs and we've had the lows, but in the course of this week of Jesus' life, Things get a whole lot worse if we look at the context in which these two stories are located. This week in their life began, a few verses earlier, with Peter's remarkable epiphany testimony. You are God's Messiah, he said. They were at Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus said, Who do people say that I am? And, and then he said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, You are God's Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the chosen one of God. You're the next Moses, is what he was saying. And for some reason, after Jesus heard that testimony come out of the lips of Peter, he decided that they were ready. They were ready for the next part of the Jesus story, the next part of the gospel unfolding before their very eyes. And so immediately after Peter says that, Jesus predicts that he's going to go to Jerusalem and be arrested and tried and beaten 
and crucified. And then immediately after that blunt about face and their expectations, we have this story of the transfiguration and of the exorcism. And then at the other end of these two stories, uh, another bookend experience, if you'd like, Jesus predicts his second for the second time that he is going to die. Let's pick up the story here midway through verse 43. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully. Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Short version of that whole prophecy of his own death. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for it is the one who is least among you, the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. So let's just look at this nine-day period of time in the life of Christ and his disciples. The focus of this nine-day-long journey has everything to do with the baffling ways of God, doesn't it? Ways that didn't make much sense to to the disciples. Ways that reduced them to ineffective babble, meaningless conversation. First, following Peter's messianic proclamation, is Jesus' first announcement of his death. How is Jesus going to become the Messiah? How is Jesus going to save Israel? How is Jesus going to save every last human being who has ever been born and whoever will be born? How is this going to be happening? Jesus says it's going to happen with my death on the cross. I'm not going to be some powerful military ruler. I'm not going to bust a bunch of heads and break a lot of bones. I'm going to die on a cross. That's how I will become a successful Messiah. A little hard for them to understand. The transfiguration, the second event in this nine-day period of time, that word exodus, the spiritual parallel to Moses and the exodus from Egypt, Jesus is having a conversation with Moses and Elijah in which they are talking about the fact that he is going to lead the chosen people out of slavery to sin into the promised land of eternal life. And how is that going to happen? Jesus is going to be the Passover lamb. How did Israel, how was Israel redeemed? 
in large part because of the Passover lamb, the substitute for their firstborn sons, that protected their families from the death angel throughout Egypt. That's how God's chosen people were spared. How are we going to be spared from our sinfulness? Because Jesus is our Passover lamb. You know, I have to be honest with you, for 40 years or so that I've been a Christian, when I read the story about the transfiguration, the thing that attracts my attention is this mighty voice out of the cloud. It's the the power and the Shekinah glory of God that's caught up and, and depicted in the story. But the truth of the matter is that the focus, the real story of the Mount of Transfiguration is all about a dying to self. It's all about the glorious revelation of the fact that God is going to cure us of our sin by dying on a cross. It's a departure story. It's a crucifixion story. Oh yeah, there's glory. But off in the distance, there's this conversation taking place between, between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah that's all about Exodus, Passover, death. No wonder Peter didn't know what he was saying. And then they go down to the bottom of the mountain, and here's this confrontation between the powers of the devil, the powers of evil, this demon that is possessing this man's son and destroying his life. How is the power of Satan going to be overcome? By the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a crucifixion story. And all of this is capped off with a second death announcement from Jesus. After all the glory and the power on the Mount of Transfiguration, after the glory and the power of Jesus casting out this demon, he says it again. I'm going to become a successful Messiah by dying on a cross by allowing sinful people to have their way with me. So much babble. That's what we hear from the disciples throughout these four stories. Because they just can't make sense of it. There are going to be times when God's ways, which are higher than our ways, will make no sense to us. Have you ever had one of those moments? God calls you to do something. God says something that just doesn't make any sense. There are times like that because God's ways are greater than our ways, higher than our ways. And when we realize that the ways of God are the ways of crucifixion, the ways of childlikeness, the way of sacrifice, the way of self-emptying, the way of picking up our cross and sharing the sufferings of Christ, we are often so shocked, so frightened, so overawed that we might find ourselves babbling like babies. Saying things that just don't make any sense. But brothers and sisters, that's okay. We're in good company, aren't we? Our prayers, our conversations with God don't always make much sense to him, I'm sure. 
I suppose God is an awful lot like Lynn and I listening to Melinda. Now, I can't say her name. God has a way of figuring out, though, doesn't he? Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 7, we're reminded that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts, that would be the Heavenly Father, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Aren't you glad when you're just stumped by the ways of God? Aren't you glad when you're overawed by the glory of God? Aren't you glad that when things just don't seem to make sense, the Spirit himself is interceding for you with wordless groans that the Father can understand? Is that good news to you? I hope so. In N.T. Wright's commentary on this passage, he writes, We, too, often find it completely bewildering to know how to understand all that God is doing and saying, both in our times of great joy and in our times of great sadness. But the word that comes to us, leading us on to follow Jesus, even when we haven't a clue what's going on, is the word that came from the cloud on that strange day in Galilee. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen. Often when we're listening to God, we think we know what he's saying. Right? I mean, he's using English words, right? We think we know what he's saying. But I can testify that after 45 years of being with Lynn, there are times when we still don't know what the other is saying. Probably true in my conversations with God. God's reminder to me, God's reminder to us is listen to Jesus. If we are encountering the glory of God, we're certainly going to be at a loss for words. I would just expect that to be the thing that happens. So let's not belittle ourselves if we don't pray well enough. Because perhaps the more important thing for us to do is to listen more than we talk. What did our parents tell us about the number of openings we have for listening and talking, right? Still holds true. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. Listen. Can we sing that song and then we'll spend some time listening to God together? We can sing this song. Throughout this sermon series, speak, O Lord, it's our prayer.
Papa, we are so grateful that you have taken the time to learn how to recognize our voice. You have taken the time to recognize the babble that comes out of our mouths when we don't understand what you're up to. Sometimes it's an angry babble, an accusatory babble. Sometimes it's babble that sounds an awful lot like gratefulness and thanksgiving because we're overwhelmed by your mercy, but we just don't know how to express it. Father, we're grateful that you know our voice. You know our name. And that you listen to But for, we're so grateful, Father, that, that you are teaching us how to listen to you. You are teaching us how to hear and to recognize your voice. You are teaching us slowly but surely how to interpret the things that you are calling us to do and calling us to say and calling us to do. Lord, we give you the week ahead. Big things are happening in our world. Big things are also happening in our own personal lives and our families. We may not recognize how big they are, but you're always doing something new. We trust that. We believe that. So, Father, we pray that this week, even though we might already have our calendar and schedule, our appointments made out, we pray that, Father, this week we would be attentive enough to recognize your interest your divine appointment. We pray, Father, that this week you would prepare us for conversations that we can't anticipate. We pray, Father, that as we get into those conversations, we would hear your voice filling our minds and our hearts and our mouths with the right things. We pray, Father, that we would hear your voice teaching us when to be filled let your Holy Spirit be the heavy lift. Lord, thank you for the reminder that you gave to Peter, James, and John on top of that mountain of transfiguration to listen. Lord, we promise that this week for it's in his name and for his glory alone all of God's children.